Hi, thanks for joining us online. We're glad that you've chosen to access this message. It's so encouraging to know that God is using the ministry of Portico Community Church to touch the hearts and lives of people all across the world. If you have a story to share or a prayer request, we would love to hear from you at info at porticocanada.ca. To support our ministry, you can donate online by clicking on the Donate button at the top right of your screen. Once again, we're so glad that you've joined us. It's our prayer that this message from God's Word will deeply impact your life. Well, good morning, everybody. How are you doing? Good. If I've not met you before, my name is Rick, and I'm one of the pastors here at the church, and really glad that you've chosen to join us here for Sunday morning for service. So we're in the middle of a series called Under Pressure, and we're looking at the different points of pressure that we face in our lives. And uh, I want you to open up your, your phones or apps this morning. If you have a, if you have a phone or you have um, an iPad or something, I want you to turn them on this morning, open them up, and if you have a news app, Open that. So 680 News, CP24, CNN. Open up your news app of choice. We have a little test here this morning. I want to know, out of the top 10 stories that you see there, how many are good news stories and how many are bad news stories? Of the, of the first 10 stories that you see on your, on your news app, which are, how many are good, how many are bad? This is a bit of a trick question. If you see that Doug Ford is leading the Ontario poll, I'm not going to say if that's good or bad news. That's for you to decide if that's good or bad news. But how many have more than five good news stories on their app? The first 10. Nobody. Does somebody have four good news stories? Three? We have one with three? I saw that it says spring weather's continuing. That's one. That's good. Does anyone have two good news stories on their app out of... Nobody had, is there one good news story? All right, we have a few people with one good news story on your app. Isn't it crazy how we will often highlight the bad news for, uh, to a ratio of nine to one or eight to two that we like to report, that we like to think about it? And we understand that there are lots of bad things happening, but we fixate on it and we highlight on it. And the big question and the pressure point we're going to look at this morning is, if there is a good and loving God, why does he allow evil to happen in the world? And how do we handle evil? And specifically, how do we handle the temptation to be participants in that? And in this series on being under pressure, the presence of evil smacks us right in the face on a daily basis, and, and it makes us confront that question, how did it get here, and why did it get here, and how much of it is God's fault, and how much of it is our fault, and why wouldn't he just stop it regardless of whose fault it is? And the reality of our world is this, is that God is so good and loving that he refuses to force his hand into our life and move us around like a piece on a chessboard or something like that. And the majority of us would probably see ourselves if we said, are you a good person or a bad person? How would you respond to that? Now, don't yell it out. I don't want to hear anybody, uh, do, this isn't a self-shaming moment, but it, most of us would say, you know, deep down, I am a good person. But we see in our news apps, we see all over the place, we have good people here who are seemingly making bad choices. And in fact, we ourselves often participate in the evil or the brokenness at different times. Now, isn't that a happy thought to start our Sunday morning service off with? 
No, it's not. It's okay. <laughs> but we have this perception that we are basically good, and probably nine times out of ten, we do indeed make the right choice. Most of us are not going to be on the news app next week. You're not going to be highlighted. It's not going to say, look what Colin did. He burned down such and such a place. Or It's probably not going to say that. It's, those aren't the kinds of choices that the majority of us would make. But on the other hand, you and I will get discontented with something in our lives. We're frustrated with something. And then we will respond in a way that isn't necessarily right, true, or ethical. Let's start it easy this morning. When somebody asks you how much you weigh, most of us don't want to give a response. Most of us have a number in our head. And most of us would prefer to skew the truth a little bit, right? We lie a little bit. We say, well... I, I think last time I weighed myself, I was such and such, or, you know, I think I'm in this range knowing full well that it's a lie, but you're a good person, right? You're a good person that is discontented with something in your life, so you are prone to participate in something that is evil, which would be a lie. Okay, let's push it a little deeper. Tax season is just ending. If you haven't done your taxes, you're supposed to do your taxes. Make sure we get that that going. But some of us would earn untaxed income. We were doing a job on the side here, or somebody paid us in cash as opposed to check or credit card. And, And who would ever know that we brought in this kind of money? The government is not gonna, you're not making $50 million in untaxed. You're just making a few thousand, a few hundred or something. Who would ever know? Why would we have to report? that untaxed income. And it would be easier for us to use that money for ourselves than it would be to pay the taxes that we're required to. Again, we are good people who have this temptation to sometimes participate in something that isn't, isn't so good. We see it in relationships. People get dissatisfied with their relationships and there's unfaithfulness. We see it in our thought life and, we, and we, be, we can begin to degrade other human beings down to the level of something that just is pleasurable to our eyes and catches our eyes and we have this response of lust internally. It's getting harder to classify ourselves as good people, isn't it? It's getting harder for us to say, yeah, I'm a good person, but I, I recognize that I participate in evil all the time. So it's harder to ask a question. We, we're, we're quick to ask, why would a good God allow evil? Why would a good God allow you and I? Because we are participants in that. Well, that's the battle we're going to tackle this morning. This is the pressure that we walk around with day by day. And we're going to go to James. We're in the book of James for the next couple of months. So if you have your Bible, open it up. We're still in chapter 1. And we're going to be looking verses 12 through 18. I'm going to be reading out of the New Living Translation. So open up your apps. Open up your Bible. You're going to want to keep it open to James chapter 1 this morning because we're going to definitely be in and out of that. And then you have some supplementary notes, which are also in your bulletin. It's on our app and uh, your notes are there to follow along pen and paper or digitally as well. So here we go. James 1, 12 through 18. How do we handle temptation and evil? Here's what it says. God blesses those who patiently endure testing and temptation. God blesses us. Afterward, they will receive the crown of life that God has promised to those who love him. And remember, when you are being tempted... Do not say God is tempting me. God is never tempted to do wrong and he never tempts anyone else. Temptation comes from our own. Here's a key one. We're going to key on this a little bit later. Temptation comes from our own desires, which entice us and drag us away. These desires give birth to sinful action. And when sin is allowed to grow, it gives birth to death. So don't be misled, my dear brothers and sisters. Whatever is good and perfect 
is a gift coming down to us from God our Father who created all the lights in the heavens. He never casts, he never changes or casts a shifting shadow. He chose to give birth to us by giving us his true word. And we, out of all creation, became his most prized possession. Let's pray. Father, I thank you for your word. I thank you for the way that it it refines us. I thank you for the way it gives life to us. I thank you for the way that it challenges us. And Lord, I pray that we would lay our lives on your word this morning and we would reflect upon the changes we need to make, the way that we need to become more like you. God, I pray that we would never come to you with a preconceived notion of who you are and how you should respond and we should respond, but we would moment by moment come to the scripture, come to your presence and say, God, I just want to learn. I just want to be more like the person you've created me to be. Lord, thank you that there is no guilt in this message. There is no guilt in this text, but there is life. And Lord, we ask that we receive it as life. And we ask this all in the name of Jesus. Amen. Amen. So we're going to start the message this morning from a theological perspective. We are in church after all. And then we're going to move it a little bit deeper into the practices. So, so theologically speaking, where does evil come from? And as you're taking notes, here's the first thing you want to walk away with and remember is that when it comes to understanding evil, we need to know that God will never tempt you. Very basic principle. God, there is nothing that God will ever do that is going to bring temptation to your life. If there's evil in your life that you see, that you participate in, don't start the conversation by pointing the finger at God and say, God, this is your fault. <laughs> we get to this place because we misunderstand the difference between temptation and test. God may indeed test us, and we go through seasons like that, but God will never tempt us, enticing us to participate in the evil. If we go right back to the beginning, creation, the Garden of Eden, God put humans in this beautiful place. There was no snow in April. There were, there were no debts. There were no taxes. There was no flu season. There were no difficult choices that we had to weigh through. There was perfection. And there was this one rule. There was one rule. Don't eat fruit from a certain tree. That's the only, God designed it to be perfect. He designed it to remain in perfection as long as we could keep this one rule. And there was this tree that they weren't supposed to eat the fruit from right in the middle of the perfection where anyone and everyone could see it. So what was this tree called? Was it the cherry tree? No, it wasn't the cherry tree. Was it, was it, was it the birch tree? No, it was the tree of knowledge of good and evil. That's a very unassuming name, right? Like, like, like God didn't do anything to highlight a cherry tree, birch, tree of knowledge of good and evil. That's the one I want you to stay away from in the center with the intriguing name. That sounds a little bit like temptation, doesn't it? It's like putting me in a, in, in a room with five screens and saying, here's Dora the Explorer on this screen, and you can learn the Spanish words for yellow and soccer and map and everything. Here's HGTV and gardening on this screen. Here's Property Brothers on this screen. Here's CNN on this screen. And then there's one screen the biggest one right in front of my chair that says there might be sports on this screen, but don't turn it on. That's like what's happening here. The one that is highlighted big and central is the one, don't touch that one. God, it sounds like you're tempting. I'm just gonna throw it out there. But it's not a temptation, it's a test. The presence of something wrong is not a tempt. It's a desire for that thing that creates the temptation. Years ago, I was at Canada's Wonderland and 
I watched a gentleman in front of me. He was in the midst of a crowd and his wallet fell out of his shorts and he just kept on going. He didn't, he didn't feel it. It was just kind of hanging there. And I was only a few steps behind. Nobody else saw it. And I picked up the wallet. Now, the easy thing to do in the midst of millions of people on a hot, sweaty day at Canada's Wonderland would be just to walk away. There was money in there. I'm sure there was things in there. The hard thing to do would be to chase him down and say, sir, you dropped your wallet and I don't want you to have to go through the pain that it would be to restore your driver's license and health card and all that. And I don't want you to lose any money. The difficult thing would be to do is the right thing to do. But I had no desire to hang on to that wallet. My desire was for him to receive his wallet, for him to not go through. I didn't know who he was, but my desire was that his life would be easier and his life would be better, and I, wouldn't, I didn't have the desire to take the money. It's, the temptation wasn't there, so I did. I chased him down and said, hey, buddy, you forgot your wallet, and you, oh, thanks a lot, and we went on about our day. Not a big thing. I'm no hero, but it demonstrates if I don't have that temptation, the presence of the ability to do wrong is not temptation. God created us with a desire to please him. God created us with a desire to do right. But we allow our desires to morph over time from pleasing him to having control, which is really when you go back to the Garden of Eden, that's what it was about. They go, oh, I would like to know what's good and evil. I would like, and remember what the temptation was? Satan said, you would be like, you'll be like God. And there was a desire to no longer please God, but a desire to have control, a desire to understand it for yourself. And then things shifted for all of humanity from that time on. They began, we began, I shouldn't say they, we began to have temptation to fulfill our own desires. So here's why James says in 1 and 13, when you're tempted, no one should say God is tempting me for God cannot be tempted by evil, nor does he tempt anyone. And life has a way for us of getting filled up with many things that we have created a desire for. And we forget the perspective to have on the only thing that we should have a desire for is our relationship with God. We lose the understanding that there is only one thing that really matters, and that's having this relationship with God. That's what we were originally created for. There's so many different things, be it, be it food, be it sports, be it relationships, be it work, be it money. All these things cloud our minds. No, we were only designed to have desire for our creator, but we substitute that with desire for that which is created. And it's only in the created where we find evil. So let's take this theology and see how it becomes practically lived out in our lives as we get to the progression of this temptation. And this is number two, is that temptation is an internal struggle. It's not something God puts on us. It's an eternal battle. Temptation is this eternal struggle. James 1, 14 and 15 we're going to walk this through. Temptation comes from our own desires, which entice us and drag us away. These desires give birth to sinful actions. And when sin is allowed to grow, it gives birth to death. So let's, so let's break this down so we have a good understanding of it. Temptation begins as an, in, an internal lie. And the internal lie is this, that this thing that is wrong will actually, will actually be pleasing to me. And the lie is that, is that we buy into the thing that God didn't design for us to have. That's what we want. So we start to believe a lie. And then that temptation moves 
to a desire. So I want that thing. And then that desire can lead to action. And we act out and say, the thing that I shouldn't have had in the first place, now I want, and then I act on it. And then the scripture says that when sin is allowed to grow, this sin, wherever it is, it becomes death. We phrased it this way. Temptation becomes contemplation, implementation, which leads to termination. Like that? (laughs) Contemplation, implementation, termination. Here's the question, though. Where do we think sin begins to take place? Does it take place at temptation? Does it take place at the desire for it? Go back on that screen, guys. Is sin at temptation level? Is it at the desire level? Is it at the action level? Or is sin really only understood when it becomes death to us? I want you to consider the words of Jesus. Think about it. He clarified it for us. That before action... It's really the desire, the thought process is where we experience the sin. He said, you've been taught don't murder. I'm going to tell you when you begin to hate, it's the same as murder. He said, you've been taught about adultery. I'm going to say when you lust after something, it's the same as adultery. Even before we act, our minds lead us into this place of evil, of sin, of brokenness. And this is where the battle, the temptation is created out of ourselves. Okay, we're in a heavy morning here. Let's take a step back. Let's keep it lighthearted. Let's pretend we have this unattended piece or giant chocolate cake, okay? You like that? It's actually going to be out there this morning for you. I baked that. I bought that. I didn't bake that. (laughs) Is that chocolate cake sinful? Yes, yeah, yes, we have some people. Some people say yes. Some people say no. The cake, I'm going to say, in and of itself, is not sinful. The calories the cake contains are not yet on your hips. The sugar the cake contains when it goes into your children is not yet running around the foyer and destroying whatever. If we know that when we eat that cake, it's over. It, it is now, we know that when we act, it's going to be in our bodies and in our, it's going to start to have its negative effects. Does God want us to eat cake? I would think God would go, yeah, some people are like, please don't say no, please don't say no. God wants to give us good things. God intended for us to have our appetites and our cravings um, met, but he wants us to meet those desires in a healthy way. He doesn't want us to dive in and eat that whole chocolate cake, does he? He wants us to meet these desires in a healthy way. So I made it healthy for you. This is what we do. Right there. Now, (laughs) now, that chocolate cake is healthy, and you can just eat it. No, it's... (laughs) Evil can be defined this way. Fulfilling a godly desire in a distorted way. God designed for you to eat and be satisfied, but he designed for you and I to eat in a healthy way. We had a message back in February. We were on this Thrive series at Portico, and one of the the pieces we got to was 
God intended you and I to thrive physically. And when we dug down into the roots of of the Jewish kosher diet, we found that it was actually a diet that allowed the Israelites to thrive in the wilderness when they could have eaten something that was really harmful for them. And actually, if we bought into that diet, we would begin to see things. I know the bacon-wrapped, everyone who loves bacon-wrapped everything, you will be shocked. It's not in there. It is not, we shouldn't be shocked that it's not the most healthy thing for us. God actually laid out a diet plan for the Jews to say, here's how you'll thrive physically if you'll just trust that I want to give you good things. And when you morph it, and you say, yeah, but I could do this, and that's really what I want. It's when we begin to, it's when we, we begin to get into this place to make something that's not healthy for us, where we get into sin and we start to experience brokenness. We were not designed to gorge on sweets, <laughs> but we were designed to have appetites satisfied. God designed you and I to have healthy relationships. He designed us to be sexually active, to have one partner for life, to honor each other, to sacrifice for one another. It's when we begin to morph that and say, yeah, but I would, you know how else I would like it is this and this and this. And then we begin to experience brokenness. God intended to take care of our financial needs. He intended for us to be good stewards of the resources that he gives us. And then the moment when we try and take control and we have a desire for more, or we have a desire for control that he never intended us to have is where we get broken. The moments that we take desire outside of the will of God and the teaching of the scripture, that's when we move it into sin. So it's not even in the action, it's in the desire. The temptation is what we create. So really basic, the lottery is not evil. Desiring fortune for personal pleasure definitely can be. Sex is not evil. Creating sexual feelings of any nature that were designed for marriage outside of nature, outside of marriage is. Disagreeing with someone is not wrong. Fostering hate for someone is evil. We are good people and we participate in evil all the time. James chapter four gets into what he calls the evil desires that are at war within us. This is what he's talking about. It's not that we're evil people, but we war against these evil thoughts. And in a moment of honesty this morning, could we admit that we all have this struggle and we all need grace from the spirit of God to come in and offer forgiveness to us and offer strength to us? Because evil is much less about what God allows and is more about what I'm allowing myself to desire. And the amazing thing about following Jesus is that he seems to have an answer for everything that we face. Can I read for you 1 Corinthians 10 and 13 about temptation? No temptation has overcome you except what is common to mankind. And God is faithful. He will not let you be tempted beyond what you can bear. Here we go. But when you are tempted, he will also provide a way out so that you can endure it. And it's learning to listen to where the voice of the spirit is and say, Lord, this is my temptation and I don't want to let it become a desire. Will you show me the truth? Will you show me what's right? Will you remind me what my desire was originally intended for and help me bring it into line with that? What's the greatest temptation Jesus ever faced? 
We know that there was that very specific time when he was led out into the wilderness and he was tempted with resources or to have control over things or to have power, to have angels at his calling. Satan brought him out. God led him there for testing. Satan brought it into temptation. But I feel that that's not the greatest temptation that he ever faced. I think the greatest temptation Jesus ever faced was to walk away from the plan that God had for him. Because it was going to be so difficult, because it was going to hurt, hurt so much, he had this temptation of, is there another way that I can do this? I can face the other stuff, but, but this one, going forward in something that's so hard that I'm not sure is going to be good for me, can I do that? Luch has already indicated and reminded us that we have a town hall following this morning's service. As God is calling our campus, our newly formed group of people, to a journey that may be difficult, and a journey where we're going to have some difficult questions. And the greatest temptation that you and I will ever have in this, in this season is to walk away to something that would be easier rather than follow out what God lays in front of us. The greatest temptation I believe Jesus faced was to follow in the footsteps and the pathway that God had designed for him. So in the midst of this temptation, Jesus breaks away from everything else and everyone else and says, I just need to connect again with the Father because I have a desire that will lead me away from pain and it'll lead me away from difficulty, but I need to know what the Father's heart is and the Father's will is. And if you and I don't have regular moments of shifting our minds from all of the created things that might draw our desires and just hear God, our creator, and hear his voice and understand his heart, we will lose this battle time and time again. This is what Jesus demonstrated to us in those critical moments. Find your savior. Find your father. I don't want to be a good person participating in bad things. So Jesus breaks away, and what does he do? He prays the very words of scripture. He says, Lord, your kingdom come and your will be done on earth. He says, not my will, but your will. And it's in the moments when we feel like we're going to give in to the desire, when we're going to lose the temptation, where we better have the words of the scriptures in our hearts and on our lips. If we don't have it memorized, we better get into a place where we can understand what God's will is, what God's heart is, so we'll be able to say, God, whatever is good, right, and pure, let me think on those things. God, help me be reminded that I know that he who is greater is in me, is greater than that which is against me. Lord, help me remember that the steps of a righteous person are ordered by God. And if we don't have the ability to lean on that, we are going to lose time and time again because there is this desire that's at war within us. You know, whatever is familiar to us, will become the subject of your greatest desire. This one is easy for me. Sports fans, you know we cheer for the color of laundry players wear, right? You know this, right? We are cheering for a jersey. We are not cheering for a player. How many people really want to see LeBron James lose right now in the NBA fans? You want to see? If it was DeMar, Kyle, and LeBron, how many would want to see LeBron lose? Lying. You are lying. If he was on the Raptors, you would be so happy because you're cheering for laundry (laughs) because it's familiar to you. Toronto is familiar to us. That red jersey, the black jersey, the white, it's familiar to us, so we cheer for it. We were outraged that that. Kadri was out for the the last three games and he was just a dirty, dirty, like it was a bad call. 
But if he did that to us, if he was on Boston, he did that, we would be just three games. He's got to be out for more than three. We're cheering for him because he wears our color, because we're familiar with it. And whatever you're familiar with, you become, it becomes an object of your desire. And before, ta- before facing temptation, Jesus gets alone with the Father. And he speaks the words of the scripture so that he would again be familiarized with God's heart and God's will. And here's what we read in James 1, 18 and 21. He chose to give birth to us by giving us his true word. And we out of all creation become his prized possessions. Here we are, 21. So get rid of the filth and the evil in your lives. Turn your minds, turn your body, turn your ways from that and humbly accept the word that's planted in you and the word which can save you. And every day we are surrounded with a thousand things that are going to fight for our attention. And some of us are easily, more easily distracted than others. And each one of them are fighting for a response from us. And the majority of them lead us into a place where we are, become selfish, where we participate in things that don't add true value to God's kingdom or those in it. And we add to the darkness because we put our attention on things that we never were intended to have our attention focused on. And in fact, the only right response is love. Love God well. Love yourself well. Love others well. Love well. And there are people here this morning who you struggle with this message. You struggle with this idea because it's hard to be convinced that if we just love God well, it will go well for us. It's kind of like just let me do my way. I'm going to come to a service. I'm going to have some times of prayer, but don't get involved in the nitty gritty of how I do my relationships, my finances, my big life choices. I can't trust that God's going to care for me because if he did, then my family member wouldn't be sick. Or if God really cared, there wouldn't be injustice or I wouldn't face difficult times. And if I opened up my news app, it would be full of great stories, perfection stories. It wouldn't be full of the garbage that I see and read every day. And here's the application point. God is asking, will you risk trust in him? Will you risk obedience to him and his word and lay down your own control so that God can have control? is where we get to our last thought, is that God brings good to you. He doesn't bring evil. Our communion servers are going to get ready, and we're going to have communion together in a moment. But God loves you and I so much that even in a broken world, we make it priority. He makes it priority that good things still happen. Even in our broken world, God makes priority that good things still happen. Here's James 1, 17 and 18. He says this, whatever is good and perfect is a gift coming down to us from God, our father, who created all the lights in the heavens. He never changes or casts a shifting shadow. He chose to give birth to us by giving us his true word. And we out of all creation become his prized possession. And it's not that only good things are happening. That would be really foolish for me to say that. But we lie to ourselves all the time and we say, because bad happens, there is no good that happens. Those two things don't match, actually. 
bad can happen and God's goodness can be present at the same time. It's where we choose to put our minds and our focus that shapes our understanding and our worldview. And God has a funny way of preparing anyone that's going to teach his word for what they're about to say on Sunday. In the last eight days, as I prepare to say, hey, there's evil in the world, but God is good and God can heal us. My family has been to the hospital three times. We have had one emergency surgery, two ultrasounds, one x-ray, four doctor visits, one physio appointment, two smash bumpers, and the Leafs are on the verge of elimination. Life was not good to me this week. God was. Let me try that again. Life wasn't good to me, but God was. You can look at life right now and say, man, there is evil, there is bad, and I even participate in it. But that's life. That's what we create. God creates good. God creates perfection. God creates restoration so that even when you and I are participants in the negativity or we are affected by the evil, we can turn to him and say, Lord, I need your spirit now. I need your grace now. I need forgiveness. I need strength. I need peace. And that's the promise that he has for us. Amanda and I were driving home after, this was even before the last half of the week happened. And we looked at each other and we said, God is still so unbelievably good to us. I am so glad that we have health care that we can go to. I'm so glad that no one passed away in our family this week. I'm so glad that God can regularly give us peace. And there were moments this week where we were laughing about it, when we were crying about it, but we were able to go, Lord, thank you that I can still turn to you. And even if I die, I know where I'm going. I'm going to a better place where there is none of this. So Lord, thank you that you bring good to me. James wraps up this portion And he really challenges us. He says, understand this, dear brothers and sisters. You must be quick to listen or listen a lot. Get into the word and slow to speak and slow to get angry. We do it all backwards. (laughs) When bad stuff happens, we, we, I do. (laughs) And then we go to God and God's saying, no, no, time out. Just listen first. Watch for me first. Human anger doesn't produce the righteousness God desires. Manipulation, control, none of it produces righteousness. What produces righteousness is receiving the sacrifice Christ made for us, is getting the word that he gave to us implanted in our hearts and living it out day by day. And I truly believe there are people here this morning, including myself, that just need a reminder this morning. and need to take a moment to say, Lord, thank you that you're good. Forgive me that I focus on the brokenness. Forgive me that I forgot to listen to your voice. Lord, help me have regular times where I'm just hearing you. Lord, let my mind be so focused on you. And as the communion servers come this morning and begin to distribute the communion elements, come ahead, guys. Anyone is allowed to participate, we do ask this, that you, if you believe in Jesus, you don't have to be a perfect person. But if you believe in Jesus, please participate with us and they'll go ahead and start passing that out. And if you're not at that place, that is absolutely okay. This is not forced on anyone. This is for you to respond and you can pass and that's completely okay. But if you even want to take the step this morning and say, I believe that this Jesus is real and I want to get to know him, please participate with us. And what we're going to do this morning 
is as the band leads us, as you hold the elements in your hand, you're going to take a moment and you're going to remember that in the face of the greatest evil that your Savior faced, he didn't get angry. He didn't fight. He didn't turn away from God because of evil that was going on. He turned to God. And this morning, that's what we want to do. We want to turn our hearts to God. And we're going to sing this song that says, Christ is our cornerstone. And the weak are going to be made strong by the love of our Savior. And our hope is only established by Jesus. And I believe that if you can sing that this morning, you can live that tomorrow. And you can live that this afternoon. And yes, we have stuff that we face. Yes, we have brokenness. But we have a Savior that knew about it, that came before it, and that commits to walking through it with us. So this morning, take the time to reflect. I know this. I know for some this will be more difficult. But take the time to reflect on the brokenness and offer it up to God and turn to Him. And then once you've taken that, why don't you join us in responding by singing, Lord, you are my cornerstone. My faith and hope is in you and nothing else. Let's pray together. Father, how we need you in every moment of every day. Lord, we pray that your Holy Spirit would help us take captive every thought, every inclination, every desire. And Lord, surrender it to you for our good, for our health, for our restoration. Lord, you know the storms. You know the gales that are blowing in our lives. And Lord, you also know the temptations that come our way in order to behave in a way that betrays us and betrays you. But God, you've given us your Holy Spirit to empower us and to enable us, Lord, to say no to what we need to say no to and to say yes to the things that allow us to thrive like you have always wanted. So God, as your community, help us. We look to you. We know that we are not able in ourselves to thwart the arrows of evil that come. But Lord, by your strength, Lord Jesus, through your resurrection, that you are not only standing by our side, but you are in our very being, able to make us able to thwart those arrows, Lord, that they fall and do not hurt us. Oh God, for this congregation, those arrows, Lord, that evil has designed to uh, thwart us, to allow us to go off our path, I just pray in the name of Jesus Christ and by the power of your Holy Spirit that we will not give up or relent or give in, but we will look to you. God, lead us, we pray. Our eyes are on you. May we follow you, Lord, with all the power that you give us, the power of the cross and resurrection, which is at work in us, we pray. In Jesus' name.